Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton, and I am one of the pastors here at the Vine. It's a privilege to to continue today in our series in Isaiah. Um, We've been in um, Isaiah starting in chapter 60 and have been going through, we'll go through um, uh, chapter 66. But I just want to remind you of what Pastor John has already taught us over the last few weeks about what's going on um, with Israel and why we come to this place um, in our passage you may remember that um, Isaiah is writing to the southern kingdom of Israel, that's, that's two tribes um, in the southern kingdom, after the northern kingdom has already been um, conquered. All right, So Israel's watching this, they watch the Assyrians come in and take the northern kingdom, and it's kind of like, whew, okay, we dodged a bullet, right? But now Isaiah comes, speaking the word of the Lord, the Lord gives him this prophecy, Isaiah comes and says, no, actually... Um, you know, if you don't repent and turn, here's what's going to happen with you. What's going to happen? Well, judgment is coming. And Isaiah chapters 1 through 40 talks a lot about that in a lot of different ways. Things need to change and, and what's happening, what that judgment's going to be like. But then um, we see in chapters 40 through 66, and specifically here in, in 60 through 66, we see this, this suffering servant that's going to come. Um, It's looking forward to Jesus to come, but this one that's going to come, that's going to be the rescuer. And John told us last week in chapter 62 um, that it says, the Lord says, behold, your salvation is coming. And he tells them to keep watch for this, to watch out for this. So so watch out for dangers that are around. And he uses this picture of being on the wall, um, like the watchman crying out, watch out for the dangers, but look for this rescuer to come. Now, that's important. It's important for the people of Israel um, because things don't look good for them. Things are rough right now. I mean, they're being told you're going into captivity, right? And so they they needed the hope that there was going to be a rescuer to come. They needed that hope in real time. We need that hope today too, though. The things around you sometimes seem kind of hard, right? Let me give you a couple examples, um, and it's not an exhaustive list, but just a few examples. Is your workplace right now challenging your faith? Kids in in school, are you feeling pressure to be like or to be like or to accept everyone around you and, and their viewpoints on things? Are you maybe um in, in school sometimes being told that you're wrong? because of what you believe as a Christian. Or to use other examples, maybe today we see deep challenges in our marriage. Maybe today you feel things like this this pressure, this struggle to help our children know how to navigate this post-Christian society that we live in. Maybe you're facing old age and just brokenness. That brokenness, not necessarily related directly to your sin, but it is due to sin being in the world. All of that is hard, right? All those things we're talking about, they're difficult. 
the danger to our faith in the midst of those things is very real. And so we need a rescuer who is not weak, but one who is mighty. And that's going to be the focus of our time this morning. The danger to our faith, the danger is real, but the rescuer is mighty. You hold on to that statement because we're going to read this passage and it's going to, it's going to be like, wait, what? <laughs> so hold on to that statement because we're going to keep coming back to it. The danger is real, but the rescuer is mighty. Look at Isaiah 63. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And I remind you that this is God's word. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have treaded the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. The danger's real but the rescuer is mighty. And we're going to see, look at those two things as our points this morning. First, uh, the danger is real. Now, you may read this passage and go, okay, where, where do you see the danger here, Tim? Um, let, me, let me draw that out. Look back at verse 1 for a minute. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? You see, it's actually in the mention here in the passage, the danger is in the mention of, of Edom. Because Edom um, is not just a country, um, Edom is a country that came from Esau. Do you remember, um, do you remember who Esau is? Esau is the, the grandson of Abraham. You remember who his brother was? His brother was Jacob, who the line of Israel came from. And so you have Edom, Esau, in, in Genesis chapter 25, it, call, it says Esau also called Edom because um, he was red. If you remember Esau's red skin. Um, and so Edom means red. So you've got Edom, and the Edomites come from there. You've got Israel, J Jacob, and Israel comes from Jacob. And Edom becomes a consistent, persistent, consistent and persistent pain um, for Israel. Remember when they're going to enter into the promised land? Who is the one that opposes them first? Edom, right? The Edomites are challenging them. In the promised land, it continues over and over and over again. We see this, this uh, challenge from the Edomites, right? And so for our, um, well, let me also say this, is that Edom then becomes uh, synonymous with those who oppose God, who oppose the people of God. And what are the things that oppose God and the people of God? It's the devil, right? The evil one. It's the, all those opposed to the people of God, right? And it's ultimately sin, right? It's opposed to the people of God, the sin and destruction. And so you can see on the screen here behind me, Edom equals opposed to the work of God, 
opposed to the people of God. So in the midst of dealing with these dangers from the outside, it's important that we also see that Israel is in this situation because of their own sin, right? Israel's in this situation because they continued to turn away from God and that had led them to the circumstances they were facing. So why do I feel the need to take the time to talk about the danger here? Well, here's the reason. If we don't see that the danger is real all around us, if we don't see that the danger is real, then we will not be able to understand how much we need a mighty rescuer. We might be tempted then to settle for what I would call a weak rescuer, one who overlooks sin sometimes. Y'all know God never overlooks sin, right? He pays for it, but he doesn't overlook it. You might be tempted to settle for a weak rescuer who's unable to deal with the moral decay we see around us. Unable to deal with a society that screams, we will do what is right in our eyes. And instead, we might settle for a God who turns a blind eye when people say, well, that part of the Bible is no longer relevant. I could go on, y'all know I could, right? (laughs) But the point is, we need to understand that the danger, we need to understand the danger from the outside and the danger of sin in our hearts. And that it's just as real for us today as it is for the people of Israel when this was written. But the good news is, right? The good news is the rescuer is not weak. The rescuer is mighty. And that's what we see um, in the rest of this passage. Look back at verse one for a minute. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. So again, the picture is these guys up on the wall and they're watching out, right? And, the, and they see this one coming up. And, and as they see him, they're like, who is this guy? Who is this one coming? He seems kind of different. There's a few things the passage tells us about him. One is that he's the one who is not weak, who never grows weary. Because the language used here from this one coming up toward them from Edom was not one that was weary and defeated. You know, like even a king, when they would go out to battle and they come back from battle, even if they won the battle, they're pretty worn out, right? Pretty exhausted. It's, it, he's coming back mighty, right? He's coming back with this, conf- the, the wording there is, is like with this confident stride of victory. He's walking back. He's really, really, really strong. He has abundance of strength. And then the rescuer himself answers in the next phase, and he says this about himself. So, so who is this one? He says, it is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. We'll come back to the phrase in righteousness in a few minutes, but, but first, this word translated mighty here indicates the same as, as abundance before. 
So we, we hear these words in English, it's like it's abundant, it's mighty. It's actually re-emphasizing what this abundance meant. It's that this mighty that he never runs out of this ability to save. He's, remember the song we were singing a minute ago, All Sufficient? He's more than sufficient for all that he's called to do. He's abounding in strength and never ending in his ability to save. That's who they see coming. That's who they see coming. But notice in verse 2 that the garments are red. I know you didn't really miss this. I say notice. I'm sure you noticed it when I read through it, right? The garments are red as if they've been tromping around in the wine press, smashing a big old vat of grapes, right? I, I, yesterday, as I'm watching the kids at the, so you may have, I think y'all should have slide earlier, but um, as the kids were coming down the slip and slide, it didn't take but about 10 times until that became a mud pit at the end. And they would come down and hit that and be covered, right, in mud. Adults too, by the way, um, were doing that yesterday. And, and I was watching that, I was like, ooh, yuck right? That's kind of that's messy. That's kind of nasty. Well, this, this rescuer is coming and he's covered, covered in this red, in this blood of his enemies. So who is this rescuer in these red garments? In the rescuer's response himself, we, we learn even more. We see that, so this rescuer never grows weary. We also see that he has anger and wrath against his enemies. Why are your garments red like you've been in the wine press? Look at verse three. Here's the answer. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Uh, The word for anger here is indignation. It's this righteous, just anger um, towards towards his enemies. And the word for wrath is the intensity and the heat of the anger. The rescuer is saying, because of the enemies against his people, because he said he would stop this in the end, he will. And it is going to be intense. How do we know? The second half of the verse, three. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Verse four, the day of the vengeance was in his heart. The time for redemption had come. It was time for God through the rescuer to complete what he had started, to finish what he said he would do. And then in verse six, he restates it all again. And he's emphasizing, he's driving the point home. There would be no doubt about what the rescuer was going to do. This pouring out of lifeblood that he talks about here um, in the ancient Near Eastern culture that's in Israel and the surrounding um, nations around them, this lifeblood was said to be, when lifeblood was spilt, it was said to be, and it hit and it poured out on the ground, it was a finality. It was that could never be put back in, so to speak. Life cannot be given back to something as the lifeblood had been spilt on the ground. And so it was a final, it was, it, is, it was a finality, it is finished. He's speaking of that form um, of judgment. That's tough, isn't it? It may even be uncomfortable for some of us. 
And part of that is because it's become somewhat common practice in Christian circles to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. And the problem is, passages in the New Testament use this exact same imagery. They use the same imagery. Showing this very same imagery when looking to when Jesus comes in final judgment. I'm going to give you a couple examples of that. Um, not, not all of them. There's plenty. But let me give you a couple examples. Look at Revelation um, chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and, by, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26, which I didn't get put on the screen, um, but it says, then the end will come. And when he hands the kingdom when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. His anger and his wrath are against all opposed to him in the end. Those who are, who are opposed in the end. That was 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. All opposed to him in the end. And he will defeat all his and all our enemies. That's, again, the devil, that's those who persist in resisting him until the end. And that is sin. Y'all, you know, if he doesn't have this, I know it's uncomfortable for some of you. But if this is not true of God, if he doesn't have anger and wrath against sin in the end, if this picture against all his enemies and against sin is not true, then he cannot demonstrate love to anyone. Because the glory of God must be restored for him to demonstrate love to his people. The rescuer came to reestablish the glory and the honor of God. That makes the other thing we learn about the rescuer in verses 3 to 6 super important as well. And it's this. He alone can complete this work. Verse 3, we see he alone judges. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. Verse 5, he alone brings salvation. I looked and there was no one to help. It's, it's not like... I looked and everyone was busy. They had something else to do, so I couldn't find anybody who would come along with me and help. No, it's, it's I looked and there was no one worthy, no one capable, no one able to do this. 
And the rescuer says, I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my arm brought salvation. My wrath, that is divine wrath, part of the nature of the triune God kept me focused in what I was meant to do. All of this was fulfilled to the nation of Edom before Jesus returned. But the New Testament indicates, as we've already looked, that it's also to be fulfilled in the final judgment. And so this brings us back to verse 1. He, the mighty rescuer, speaks in righteousness because he alone is righteous. He's the only one capable to defeat all his and our enemies. He's the only one who is mighty to save. So if we take all that, How does that help us this morning? We're Christians living in 2023. How does that help us this week? How do we face all the things we started talking about at the beginning of this sermon? I'm going to start here, okay, because it has to start right here. It has to start with Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. How do we face all the things we started talking about at the beginning? It has to start with Jesus. It's not with to-dos. It's not with great thoughts about how to address things and change our society. It's not with how to protect our children. It's not with politics. It has to start by seeing Jesus crowned with glory and honor, victorious over all things, having won the battle. Do y'all know that? Jesus, Jesus is going to win. Right? He's already defeated Satan, right? And, and he is going to finish the job. My father-in-law says this all the time about revelations. You know, there's all sorts of different interpretations of revelation and how all that's going to play out and this and that. And my father-in-law is like, yeah, okay, that, there's all these different things. There's time to study all that. But here's the deal. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. He will defeat all his and our enemies through the shedding of blood. He alone can do this. He alone is righteous. If you are a follower of Jesus, this should bring you great comfort this morning. And it should bring you great comfort because he's not going to stop until he's done. And it should bring you great comfort because it means he will help us face those things we talked about earlier. But let me me just pause for a minute. What, What is the greatest danger that we face in this world? Think about that for just a minute. What is the greatest danger that we face? And if I took time to go around the room, we'd call out all sorts of different things, right? Because part of that just depends on where we are in life and what circumstances we're facing and and what we've seen. One of the ways to determine our answer to that is if God fixed X, if God fixed this problem, then things would be better. So let's apply that to the things earlier today. If God fixed 
my faith being challenged in the workplace, things would be better. If God fixed my rough school situation with pressures to be like everyone else, things would be better. If God fixed our schools promoting sinful and unbiblical things, things would be better. If God fixed the deep challenges in my marriage, things would be better. If God fixed this post-Christian society for our children, things would be better. If God fixed my old age and brokenness, things would be better. And, and here's the reality, right? God does do some of those things. We, they give us the glimpse of the, it's, it's his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. They give us the glimpse of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be. And so we do have some of that. But here's the point. The point is, none of those things are the greatest danger we face. The greatest danger we face, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is separation from God because of your sin. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's turning away from what he says is good, turning away from his lordship, turning away from following him, and kind of going in our own way. The greatest danger we face is sin. But, it, but see, here's the thing. If Jesus deals with the sin in our own hearts, if Jesus deals with the sin and brokenness in this world, by the way, we've already said he's going to win, right? Then all those other things will be taken care of in the end. So that means, now bring it back around, right? That means when you go to work and you're facing challenging things at work, you can live as a follower of Jesus in the midst of the workplace, seeking to live out your faith in obedience to him and understand that whatever persecution comes for that, whatever danger comes from that, God is going to take care of you. God is going to walk with you and God is going to ultimately win. Apply that to every other one of these that I'm talking about. Jesus wins. He will not leave or forsake his people. He will not leave or forsake you as you follow him. And he strengthens us to live our lives. Y'all, it may be true. There may be somebody in this room because of what's going on around us in this world there will most likely be somebody in this room who loses their job for following Jesus. There will most likely be somebody in this room who faces persecution and loses uh, money or, or other challenges for following Jesus. There may be someone in this room who dies for following Jesus. Are we willing to face that and say, Jesus has already won. He will not leave or forsake us, and we know it because he's already dealt with our sin. He's already dealt with the thing that separates us from him. And he says, I will complete what I've started. I will walk with you. You are mine. The picture that he paints here, Jesus was coming forward in crimson robes, right? The rescuer was coming in crimson robes because he had defeated all the enemies. 
the song we were singing earlier. Do you notice what it said? In all sufficient merit. I didn't even notice until we were singing it this morning. It says, our crimson robe. See, our robe's crimson, full of blood, because that's what we deserve. Our crimson robe was changed for a robe of white. And that is where we turn for our hope, our trust, our strength in the merit and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The danger's real, but the rescuer is mighty. And his name is Jesus. Let's learn to look, not look at our circumstances. Stop looking at our circumstances, but look to Jesus. I want to give you a minute to do that. And I want to give you time to just confess before the Lord places where you're looking at your circumstances to determine whether he loves you or not, to determine whether he's for you or not, and, and, and confess that. Because that's looking in hope to something else. Our hope is found in Jesus and him alone. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.